testimony, and um, I told him I would do that as long as I could share the gospel. So we're going to talk about the gospel as well this morning. And uh, he also said that you guys are talking about spiritual disciplines this semester. Is that right? Yeah, that's great. Um, that's a good thing. What I want to do is just share like a condensed version of my testimony because I don't want to go on for too long on that. Um, you've probably heard or have similar testimony. Uh, and then I want to talk about what is the most important spiritual discipline that is the foundation of every other spiritual discipline you could come up with in your life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I do want to pray again before I say anything else. So if you would join with me and just ask the Spirit of God to work and move this morning, I'd appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we know that you have given us many precious promises to hold on to in this life. And that's why we open your word. That's why we go to a Bible college. It's to build a foundation on the promises of God that will never fail. Every promise that is yes in Jesus Christ. And one of those promises that just keeps coming back to me is that you will send out your word and you will accomplish what you send it out to accomplish and it won't return void. And so Lord, I just pray this morning as Danny was mentioning, if there's anybody in this room who is faking it, you would just, you just, you just save them this morning. And I ask that every single one of us who know you would know you more and love you more and treasure you, Jesus, above any amount of wisdom or knowledge or understanding or action or anything else we could think we could accomplish in our lives, that we would just treasure Jesus Christ. By your Spirit, come and make that happen, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, as Danny said, I, I did grow up in a Christian home. Um, Scott's not here, so I can use that phrase. <laughs> I told him I was going to use it. Um, but you know what I mean by that. Um, my parents, you know, they took me to church. They taught me the Bible, etc., uh, etc. Et and... So up until, let's see, up, up through eighth grade, I went to Heritage Christian. Um, I think I homeschooled one of those years, which was a real dark time in my life. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist homeschooling. Um, and then in high school, I went to Belgrade, uh, Belgrade High School. And so for the years that I was uh, before high school, prior to high school, I was a pretty good kid. Um, and, you know, when I was seven years old, I had said a prayer, something along the lines of Jesus come into my heart. Um, but God, uh, there are no magic words with Jesus. Uh, I didn't know what that meant when I said it, so it, it did not take. Um, I had no idea what the gospel was or what it meant to. I really never got a, a real clear presentation of the gospel that I can remember uh, for a long time. So, parents, that's kind of an exhortation to you. Don't just tell your kids to ask Jesus into their heart. Tell them what the gospel is. Because um, that's so important. Everybody needs the gospel. Um, and then when I got to high school, um, things kind of started taking a, a downhill turn for me. Um, and then really, really actually, it was more like as I graduated high school and moved on to college, I got involved in some pretty, uh, pretty intense sinfulness, I guess I'd say. Um, 
I was uh, enslaved or uh, had given myself to the pleasures associated with uh, sex, pornography, drunkenness, uh, drugs, whatever I could come up with that I thought would uh, be a good time. That's how I was living my life for a number of years. And um, one thing I can share for sure is that if you're tempted by those things, which I know there are temptations, various temptations in this room, um, just know that it won't satisfy. None of those things are going to satisfy you. You're always going to be left empty. They don't keep their promises. Um, so that was my life up until the age of 25. And by the age of 25, I was uh, living with my girlfriend at the time. I was drunk 90% of the time. I mean, I'd wake up and start drinking and get through work and whatnot. And uh, it was really a miserable existence. But um, so, so I, I, reached, I really reached rock bottom, I would say, where I was just like, man, there, I, every day is just worse and worse. This life is just, you know, I got to put up with this life. And I really just didn't want to go on. And it was at that moment, it was during that time when Jesus reached into my life and just flipped a switch and said, Nate, you've been building your kingdom, and this is what you got. You got a pile of rubble. Good job. Now I'm going to build my kingdom in you, and I'm going to show you what life is meant to be. And uh, I wasn't listening to a sermon. Actually, I was drinking a Bud Light when it happened. So Jesus, Jesus he'll... he'll He'll leap any obstacle to get his elect. That's just the way it works. Um, there's a little Calvinist reference for you, Danny. Um, so that's when Jesus saved me. Now, when I say Jesus saved me, what I mean is that Jesus justified me at that point. And you're all Bible college students. You know what that means, but let me just elaborate a little bit. It was in that moment where before the throne of God, all my sins, we just sung about this, and I love that, that music that you guys had this morning. It's so perfect. The blood of Jesus covered my sin in that moment. And before the throne of God, God looked at me and said, I know everything you've been doing. I know everything you're going to do. And you're forgiven. And there's no condemnation, and there's no guilt, and there's no shame. So now let me show you what life is meant to be. And that's what happened when Jesus saved me. What I don't mean is that I stopped sinning, or that or that I even, I mean, that in every area I even sinned less. That's not what I mean by that. There was a heart transformation. I was a new creation. But the battle was just beginning for me. And uh, you should be able to relate to that if you're in this room this morning. Um, to be sure, there were some areas of fairly immediate transformation. For example, um, I had spent... I mean, I didn't want to be a drunk. That's not what I wanted for my life. So prior to being saved, I had, uh, you know, landed myself in jail a number of times, DUIs, all that not-so-good stuff. And I had tried to quit drinking. And, I, you know, I did their programs, and I did the AA, and I did the whatever, you know, else I could come up with. Um, and I just kept going back to it. It was so frustrating. And when Jesus saved me, I didn't want to drink anymore. And for two years, I didn't touch it. And it wasn't anything I did. I knew what I was capable of. It was just that Jesus took that away. Praise the Lord. Lots of grace there. And he just took that away from me. So there were areas of transformation, absolutely. Um, but there were other areas where things happened very slowly for me. Transformation, sanctification, 
took a long time and is still taking a long time. Okay. Um, in some sense, there were ways in which I was actually moving backward for the first few years of my Christian life. And I want to talk a little bit about what I mean by that this morning. If you'd been observing my life during those days, and many of you in this room were observing my life, um, outwardly, it looked like, it appeared as though I was making a lot of progress. Um, I was, in fact, you guys are talking about spiritual disciplines, I was very disciplined. I mean, from the moment God saved me, I was like, man, I know I need to be in his word. So I'm going to set aside time every morning to study the word of God, which is a good thing, and you should be doing that. Um, and so that's what I did, and that's what I consistently continue to do. And just because at this point, I love it. That's my favorite time of the day. I love getting up and spending time with the Lord. So that's a good spiritual discipline to have. I was, I was serving in the church, right? I was getting involved in whatever I could to be a part and serve and um, I was making prayer lists, and I was praying. I was going to Bible college, which is good, too. Uh, so I was, there were a lot of areas where I was very disciplined. Um, but a couple years ago, God really opened my eyes uh, to the reality that what appeared outwardly to be real progress, inwardly, was working out for my corruption. It was working against me. And the reason it was working against me, which I'll explain in a little bit here, is because I was neglecting the most important, the vital, foundational spiritual discipline. I was totally neglecting it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians. I told Jim he didn't need his Bible because... He probably knows this passage. So, if you don't, Jim, you should probably learn. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Danny, I think you preached from this, didn't you? I was just thinking about that. Um, right at the beginning, and I'm just, I'm just the type of guy where, who carries a water bottle to the pulpit, so bear with me. Uh, 15, verse 1. And just listen to these words. Just think about them as I read them. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, namely the gospel, unless... You believed in vain. What is Paul saying in these verses? What point is he making to these Corinthians? That's not rhetorical. You can answer that. Think about it. That's right. The, sanct the process of sanctification is only going to happen if these guys cling to the gospel. And, I don't know, it seems to be saying this to me, tell me if I'm wrong here, but if you don't cling fast to the gospel, 
You're not saved. You believed in vain. You see that? That's, that's pretty strong words, Paul. But that's what he says. According to Paul, who is a pretty reliable source, um, the primary discipline, if you're going to make any true progress, any real progress, we're not talking outward appearance, we're talking heart change transformation from the inside out in your life. The primary discipline is holding fast to the gospel. That's what it is. That is the foundation for every other spiritual discipline you can come up with. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What's of first importance? In other words, what must be the very first, number one thing, every day you wake up till the day you die as a Christian. Well, Paul tells us, you keep reading. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's it. That's just the gospel. He's just sharing the gospel with these guys. And that has got to be number one in your life if you're going to make any real progress in sanctification. Paul makes this same point over in Colossians. Turn to Colossians with me. We'll look at one more. He makes it a number of times, but we don't have all day. So, um, Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's another summary of the gospel for you. If, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, what does that mean? Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Notice what Paul does not say. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from your view of eschatology, or not shifting from your hours you set aside each day reading the Bible. Or not shifting from your attendance at Bible college. Or not shifting from your prayer calendar that you don't miss a day on. None of that. Now all that's important. But that's not what he says. What is it that you must not shift away from? It's the gospel. And that just doesn't mean <laughs> random verses that you like in Scripture. The gospel is an objective set of truths that really happened and transforms people. And that's what we've got to cling to. That's what we've got to hold on to. That's got to be the primary discipline. And for a number of years, that's exactly what I was missing in my life. 
And that's why I share this today. I really, I really wanted to share this today because I wonder if there's anyone in this room who's missing that, who's got the Bible reading nailed down, they've got their homework done, they're, they're going to classes, they're doing everything, they're making their parents happy, whatever the case may be, but you're losing sight of what makes you a Christian. Jesus Christ died for your sins and you are condemned no more. That's home base. And in this game, you stay at home base. While externally it appeared as though I was making real progress, I was being corrupted. I was being corrupted because I wasn't preaching the gospel. There are a number of potential pitfalls associated with attending a Bible college or attending a seminary. There are, pit, there are pitfalls associated with not attending a Bible college. Okay, I'm not, I'm not bashing on Bible colleges here. I'm just saying there are pitfalls everywhere you go. You've got to be aware of. One of the greatest is that due to the amount of time you're required to study and focus on secondary topics, and I, I mean by that things like your view of the end times, or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. There are secondary topics, and they're important. I'm not saying you shouldn't study those things. Don't drop out of, you know, your history class or whatever. That stuff is important. Um, no offense, Louise. I loved my world history class. Um, history of Western Civ. It wasn't world history. It was history of Western Civ. How quickly we forget. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> because of the amount of time you're required to study those things, you've got to learn these things, you've got to be ready for the test, there is a tendency to neglect or even forget what is of first importance. And it's simple, but it is your life. And so you cannot let yourself forget it. If your perspective of the gospel is that it's a great starting point and we should be preaching it to non-believers so there can be conversions and then we can move on to more important topics so that sanctification happens, right? We grow in our knowledge of this and then we grow in our knowledge of that and we grow in our knowledge of this and it's not saturated by gospel, you are not making progress. You are not making sanctification The gospel is not just the starting point of the Christian life. If indeed you continue, don't forget that. You've got to continue. If your primary means of sanctification, your fight against sin, is techniques that you can come up with, Okay, we're all fighting sin. And if your primary means is whatever man-made techniques you can come up with, um, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta, you know, maybe if I just get up earlier, or maybe if I exercise more, or maybe if I uh, attend this conference, or maybe if I uh, just get rid of my computer and my cell phone. If that's your primary means of sanctification, now, now some of those things are very helpful. And I have experienced that firsthand that some of those things can be very helpful. But if that's your starting point, if that's your foundation, 
and you neglect the gospel, it will lead to one of two devastating outcomes in your life. And I just want to share those briefly with you and then move to a close here. The first outcome is it will lead you into hopeless defeat. When I first got saved, I was very heavily into pornography. Um, I loved pornography. And then God changed my heart and I hated it. The problem is, it was a habit for me. So it took a lot of fighting to make any progress against that temptation. And I'm fairly confident there are guys, gals in this room that struggle with that temptation. Okay? I was doing everything I could outside of the gospel to beat this sin. I was trying everything. I was reading the pamphlets. I was uh, putting uh, guard things on my computer, which I found ways around. I was uh, finding like email buddies to email each other. And um, I was trying everything I could. And it seemed like every now and then there was a little, little bit of progress, but I reached a point where I was just ready to give up. I just could not kick this sin. And here I am going to Bible college, and I'm supposed to be a good kid. I'm not supposed to be looking at that stuff. But it was a, it was a, it was a big temptation for me. And so that struggle led me into a place for, that would last for days or even weeks where I felt hopelessly defeated, just covered in guilt, covered in shame, wanted to hide out, skip classes, not hang out with people, because I was just shameful. I want you to know something. God does not call you to live that way. I don't care what sin you're struggling with. That's not the fruit of the gospel. So that's the first devastating outcome that can happen if you neglect the gospel. But there's another outcome that can take place, and this one doesn't get talked about as much, but it's much more prevalent in the church, I think, and it's much more destructive, and that is you might experience success. You might experience success in your fight against those things. Let me tell you what I mean here. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul summarizes the gospel, and you don't need to turn there, you can probably quote it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. And then he gives us the reason why the gospel was designed the way it was designed. It has been designed. There's a reason God did it this way. It wasn't just pulling something out of a hat. He designed it this way for a purpose. And Paul gives us that purpose. And what does he say? So that what? No one can boast. No one can boast. Not a little bit in what you're accomplishing in your life. That's the purpose of the gospel. I shared earlier that I experienced some victory over drinking, right off the bat, where I just, I didn't touch it for a couple years, and uh, that was God's grace in my life. He took that away from me, but I didn't remain in the gospel. I got sidetracked by so many peripheral issues, and I rarely returned to the truth of the gospel to really, really just, just make it precious to me. You know what? It's not going to be precious to you if you don't meditate on it. It's just going to be there, and you're going to sing the songs, but you're not going to feel anything for it. Not that it's all about feeling, but you know what I mean. 
And I experienced some victory over drinking, but I didn't do it through the gospel. And it led me to a self-sufficient arrogance where I would hear about somebody who drinks and I'd point my little mental finger at them and say, that person, man, they need to get saved. Man, that person needs to get saved out of that. And I just sat up on my high cloud of look what I've accomplished and I don't drink anymore and all these people, man, if they could just be as spiritual as I am, boy, they'd be doing well. But don't look at my private life when I'm sitting in front of the computer. Right, but in that area, it just led me to arrogance. Progress, yes, no drinking. Real progress, no. Disgusting arrogance. And God hates that way more than me taking a drink of beer. And so I was causing divisions, and I was stirring up strife, and I was, I was just downright wouldn't talk to people because I thought, wow, that, look at all these sinners, right? <laughs> That's, that was my attitude. That was my attitude. If you've seen the video, you'll get the reference. <clears throat> Any measure of success you achieve in your battle against sin through the primary means of man-made techniques and, and creative things you can come up with to beat these sins, if it's not saturated by the gospel, will result in self-sufficient pride. And you'll probably be blind to it. Because that's what pride does. That's what sin does. The only truly effective weapon against sin at the, at the root level is to meditate daily on the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you cannot walk away from that. 1 Corinthians 9.16 For if I preach the gospel, Paul says, that gives me no ground for boasting. Paul could not boast because he preached the gospel. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. What is Paul saying? Woe to me because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and these people aren't going to hear the good news. Maybe in part, but woe to me because I won't be getting the gospel every day and I'm going to become a boaster. You hear him? If I preach the gospel, I won't boast in anything good that's going on in my life. Because I know and I am grounded in the reality that Jesus Christ did that and I am a wretched sinner who doesn't deserve any of it. And I'm capable of only destruction. The righteousness of Christ, that's where the glory goes to. Apart from the gospel, whatever you do, whether, you, whether you, you're achieving apparent success, victory over sin, or you're just down in hopeless defeat, the reason it happens that way is because you will naturally, sinful person, you will naturally base your standing before God and whether he's really affectionate towards you today or not, on how well you're doing. And if you're doing really well, man, yeah, I haven't looked at porn in two months, man, you're going to feel really good about yourself. You're going to feel real good about yourself. You're not going to feel very good about Jesus. You'll feel real good about yourself, though. Or if, you, or if you fall that day, 
sometime around noon, the rest of your day is shot. And all you can think is, God doesn't, God doesn't, God's so mad at me right now. My father, who, who is supposedly, he's just so mad at me right now. And you condemn yourself for it, and you live in that shame, and you live in that guilt. It's just based on your performance. That's all it is. It's based on your performance. And as a result, when you do well, who gets the glory? You get the glory. Or that conference gets the glory. Or that pamphlet gets the glory. Jesus doesn't get the glory for that. That's why the gospel was designed the way it was. I want to conclude with just a very specific example of how this looks. Okay? Because I think it's so important, and I really want you to get it. After I take a sip of water. Just an example of what this looks like in practice. Going to the gospel, going into the gospel, going into the gospel. All right, and I'm going to use the example of pornography because that was a big one for me. And the gospel is where I started to find victory in that area, real victory, okay? Not based on how well I was doing from day to day. And I'm, like I said, certain there are, there are probably people in this room who are struggling with that temptation. If you are, I'm here as well, okay? There are many sins out there, and that's just one of them. So let's say you're sitting in front of your computer and you've been fighting the temptation, but you start getting that feeling, that burning, and something pops up and you click the mouse. That's what you do. How do you feel? How do you, how do you feel about yourself when you're done looking at porn? You feel good about yourself? You feel like garbage. You feel terrible about yourself. And you know what your tendency is? And I, I used to think that this way. Your tendency is to embrace the guilt and embrace the shame and embrace the condemnation because you think it's a good thing to embrace it. I am such a wretched sinner. I am, I am so wicked. Uh, I, I am just, oh, I'm just disgusting. Look at me, I'm sick. And that, I thought that was a good thing. How long you're supposed to do that, I don't know. You set your own time limit, right? Maybe feel that way for an hour and then, then God's okay with you. Or feel that way for a week if you're really spiritual and then God's okay with you. Um, listen. How much of that shame, how much of that guilt, how much of that condemnation did Jesus die for? 90%? You got to bear the 10? He took all of it. He took all of it. You didn't blindside God when you clicked that mouse button. He wasn't like, oh man, so we sent Jesus to die for sins, but I didn't know he was going to do that. I didn't know he was going to look at that. We wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have paid for that one. God knew. God knew. Listen to this. Before he created you, he knew you were going to click that mouse button. Before he died for you, he knew you were going to click that mouse button or whatever sin it is you struggle with. He knew you were going to eat that extra bag of potato chips or drink that extra beer or whatever the case may be. That's my current struggle, by the way, gluttony. My goodness, I really got to get away from potato chips. Um, <laughs> at any rate, there's a little confession for you, right? God knew that was going to happen, and he bled out for you in that moment. So how much of that are you supposed to bear? Zero. You bear zero. You know what you do? You get up from your computer, you fall on your face, and you preach the gospel to yourself. And you say, you know what? 
I feel the shame. I feel the guilt. I feel the condemnation. And it's over me. And it's weighing me down. And it's a burden I can't bear. But I know I got a Savior who hung on that cross and looked at me and said, no, that's Nate Dalby, and he's mine. And I'm going to shed my blood for him so that he doesn't have to bear any of this. And you look to your Savior and you just rejoice that your sins are paid for. And you don't have to go on in that shame and in that guilt and in that condemnation because Jesus died in your place. And is that sufficient? I think it is. We just sang about it. I think that's sufficient. So no, you don't give up on the fight. You don't Listen, if you're right now saying, okay, Nate, this is good news because now I can just look at all the porn I want and every time I just get up and preach the gospel, no more shame. Listen, if that's the way you're thinking, you're not a Christian. Christians hate their sin. That's the way it works. So I'm not worried about people going out and doing that, okay? Don't twist my message. You fight. You fight to the bitter end. But when you fall, you look to that bloody mess hanging there on the cross for you. That's the only place you can look. And you get up and you throw off the shame and you say, Satan, I'm not going to take that because Jesus is my mediator. And you move forward and next time you struggle with that temptation, you know what you're going to do? You're going to fight a little bit harder. And it's going to be genuine. Because your heart is going to be filled with more power of the Spirit of Christ, more joy in what He's done, more love, more hope, more grounding in the gospel, and everything else is going to be built on that. That's square one. That's the whole building. You don't walk away from the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's how you make progress in the Christian life. You pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, Oh, how good these truths are. We need them. We need them. Every one of us needs them more than we have them. And we just, we just need to keep coming back. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room that is just living in this, in this shame or in this guilt or living in some self-sufficient pride because they think they're doing a pretty good job, Lord, just bring them back to the cross right now and never let them walk away. And just remind them, they got a Father in heaven who loves them. Even in the midst of their sin, He loves them. He holds them. He keeps them. Because God, You're big enough. You're big enough to deal with us and our sins. Thank You for the blood that was shed for us. Thank You for Jesus who, who didn't, have to, didn't have to do it. He lived a righteous life in my place. And he died a death to take away my sin. And now I can stand forgiven and come to you and experience your grace, experience your mercy, experience your love, and just continue to grow us in a cherishing of the good news of Christ and him crucified in Jesus' name.